Tech Team Weekly. Hello and welcome to Tech Team Weekly. I am one of your co-hosts, Gwen Diagram, and with me I have Neil Studd. Hello. And I also have Sanj Paswani. Hello, perfectly pronounced. Excellent. <laughs> and we have quite an action-packed uh, show for you today. So first off, we're going to be doing our usual stand-up where we will talk about what we've been up to during the week, whether that's work or outside of work or tech-related or other exciting things going in our, on our lives. And then we'll go through social engineering where we talk about comments that we've gotten from you, our audience, which is really nice. So thanks for all your interaction. And then we have our epic for this week. And we're going to be talking about a really exciting issue with from Swale Council, where they uh, mistakenly approved or declined planning requests. So watch out for that. It's good fun. Then there's uh, News Bites, where we're talking about London Tech Week and Black Men in Tech, which is really great. And then I'm very excited that OBOS Top 10 has been updated. So we're going to touch on that. And then we're going to talk about a little bit of Wikipedia editing and uh, a woman fighting fascism, which we all love. And then we'll announce the winner from our last competition in the last episode. We will have a new competition and then, uh, yeah, we'll finish up. So thank you very much to Cook My Grub for sponsoring today. And yeah, we're really excited to have you. Thank you for joining us. The Stand Up. So my update is uh, this last week I've been uh, working on some code. We were we've been manually updating our or, or rather, uh, Mr. Neil Studd has been manually updating our website with all of our statistics uh, for uh, podcast driven uh, driven development, so people can uh, keep up with our progress and see uh, how our uh, views and subscribers are doing. So uh, I foolishly said I might look into automating that. Terrible, terrible decision. Never volunteer to do anything. Do I never learn? Um, but I'm, I'm working on that. It's, it's coming along. I haven't done any like full stack coding on like a proper web app in like 18 months now, you know, since I left my last job, I've tinkered with various stuff, but this is, I've been thrown into the code base or the stack rather in which I should be an expert. So it's been, you know, it's been a bit freaky because I like, completely forgot everything to begin with. And it took like hours for everything, <laughs> everything to sort of come flooding back, but we're there again now. Um, you know, we have the little, this little interstitial video that plays between our little segments. Mm -hmm. I made a new version of that, which I haven't actually shown you to yet. I, I completely forgot, but it's more, I think it's a, I think it's cool. It's more 8-bitty. Nice. I think you might enjoy it. Um, cool. We'll see. Yeah, they're getting, better. You know how, they're getting better week by week. Yeah. Our, you know, everything's coming together where we're getting better as well, you know? Um, but yeah, our audience can give us some feedback on what they think about that as well. Bus Sim came out. I've had very limited time to play on it. Um, uh, but it's, it's cool. I'm really happy it's out. It's something there. It's another one of those hundreds of games in my steam library that I never played. I've, <laughs> I've not picked yeah. it up yet. I've, I've, the only part, the only place I've got so far is reading steam reviews. And I mean, they're a messy place at the best of times. I've seen a lot of people saying that there are some optimizations that still need doing for performance and some of the key bindings are a bit mm. dodgy. Um, is that the sort of thing that you've encountered yeah. so far? That, yeah. It's, you know, it's not like a day one. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's early days. I think I found a bug which kind of stopped me playing it, but I'm going to revisit it. And, you know, it's a small team. It's not like a 500 million euro project kind of thing, you know. What um, was the bug? I've been really injured. Uh, well, the bug that I found was I thought I completed a mission and then it said I've completed it. And then it said, oh, no, you haven't completed it. It didn't tell me where to go. So I was just driving around aimlessly, crashing into things. 
That sounds like my. That sounds like uh, a usual working day for me. I think I finished. <laughs> Um, I, I discovered something really cool yesterday, which gave me a little bit of entertainment, which was a site called Schlinkedin, which is like meant to be a satirical version of LinkedIn. <laughs> and it's it's really fun. It's meant to be like, you know, you go on there and you kind of just make stuff up. And it's like, it's a gamification of like, you know, of being like on LinkedIn and it's worth, it's worth checking out. Nice. Um, yeah. Sorry, sorry to ramble on. That's my update. <laughs> That's good. Who's next? It's me. Ah. So uh, at work this week, um, again, we're kind of in this weird point where I, I can't really talk about stuff other than let's say there's a, there's a big release coming. Um, this, that's fair to say that there is a, a major release coming from Postman in the near future. Uh, and th it means we're in this weird point with um, there's a weird time for testers where normally you're trying to test everything on the main branch. You know, everything is merged into the same place. But we've already now branched off for a release branch because there's a certain amount of stuff we do want to release and a certain amount of stuff that will come in a later release which kind of means we've got two major points for testing right now, which means uh, like automation fixes go to weird places. Like you want to put the automation onto the main branch or is it related to this new release? Um, it means that, yeah, if you come across some arbitrary bug, it's well, is it important enough to drop into this release or does it go into the main for later? Um, it just means that again, a lot of cross-chain collaboration, a huge number of bugs being raised and then closed or merged and triaged. Um, but exciting times. Um, I won't say any more other than there will be probably at least one big release from Postman this month that will be, I'm going to describe it as a game changer in terms of who uses it and Ooh. how they use it. Um, there's something big on the horizon. Um, it's not going to break any training material that's come out recently. I know Beth Marshall did a really good Postman course on Test Automation University. Uh, everything that's coming into Postman is an addition to that. It's not going to change or break any of that. So don't panic, Beth, because I know I know you're a big Postman fan and a listener of the podcast, but uh, stay tuned for that. Um, other than turning 40 and apparently losing my hair at the same time this week, uh, I've also <laughs> finally taken a receipt of my Peloton bike, which is why I look like I'm in sports gear. I'm pretty much straight off the bike today. Uh, I've ridden 100 miles in four days, uh, but it doesn't feel Ooh. like it. I think that's my, my favorite thing about it is you just keep going, you keep going. And they have like 20 and 30 minute sessions so you can get PBs at different levels. Um, they gamify it really, really well, uh, and I'm really enjoying it, which is why I'm trying to find um, listeners and friends who I can match and see on the leaderboard, because it's always nice to see people alongside you, uh, but really good. Um, I'm also writing some stuff in Postman. I've, I've picked up um, one of my Postman colleagues, Carson Hunter, has written a Postman collection that pulls loads of your uh, Peloton stats in and graphs it and does things that Peloton themselves don't do with it. Like it'll tell you who your favorite instructor is and which classes have got your heart rate highest. Uh, so I'm um, pivoting on some of that and, and I'm going to try and publicize some of that a bit more if I do some myself as well, uh, which is good fun. Um, finally, for me, big thing that happens the day this episode drops is the tickets for the new Bond film finally go on sale. And I'm a massive Bond head. They're waiting a year and a half since this film was supposed to come out. No time to die. Um, no one's yet announced what time the tickets are going on sale. They're going on sale on Monday. So I will be checking at midnight, 8 a.m., 9 a.m. And then just periodically throughout <laughs> the day to see when they actually do go on, do go on sale. Um, I'm hoping we're in a climate now where we might get some midnight screenings. Maybe they show it on more screens so they don't have to be as densely populated. But um, yeah, really, really excited about this. Are they are they going to do like an online release or is it just uh, no, in, in theatres? It's cinema only. They've held it back uh, against obviously, a lot of pressure to get it out at some point. Um, 
they, they've said it's made for the cinema. We want you to see it in the cinema. There obviously there are scenes that are designed for IMAX and they really want people to experience that. Um, there haven't been a lot of huge post-pandemic films since the, since the pandemic. Mm -hmm. The number one in the UK for the year is Peter Rabbit 2, which is not, not a one to get people <laughs> you know, driving them to the cinema. So I think Bond is a, a litmus test for how cinema is these days. It's going to be interesting. This week, I've been doing quite a bit of like engineering manager kind of admin stuff. So I've been documenting the line manager process, which has been really exciting. Well, actually not that exciting, but it's really nice to see like, okay, these are my beliefs and this is why we do it. Um, and talking a lot to the people team. Um, so the next thing I'm about to start on engineering manager wise is I'm about to start creating an engineering progression framework, which is really exciting and quite interesting because I'm always a little bit wary of them as sometimes it can be very much a seen as a checklist to progression and it can create some really weird behaviors. So I'm really excited to figure out how to do it nicely and encourage people in the right way, but also ensure that there's a suitable path for lots of development kind of personality. So the kind of like extroverted people and the introverted people can both see something that they can go along with and see their own career path. So yeah, really excited about that. Um, I'll share it when it's done, of course. Um, so yeah, don't know when it will be done though. Um, so otherwise I published a blog piece on our like, website. Um, so I don't usually write blogs because ironically, I'm a little bit nervous of looking back and just being like, that's absolute bollocks what I wrote. <laughs> Uh, but it's really silly because there's loads of videos of me talking on YouTube and interviewing with me. So it's like a completely mute, moot, moot point. Um, so yeah, this blog piece is about running Entmoot, which is a ceremony that we hold weekly where we discuss engineering improvements. Um, so as Sophie Weston on Twitter pointed out to me, it's kind of a cross between a retro and a lean coffee. And I think it's a really fun little ceremony to run. Um, so yeah. If you want to have a read of the blog, it's on glean.co um, and we've got like tech blogs on there. Um, and then this week, I'm very excited because I'm speaking at an online version of Test Automation Days um, with the other keynote speakers, uh, which is really exciting. So we have Gil from Israel and Rob Meany. And yeah, we were meant to be going to like beautiful Utrecht this month in the Netherlands and I like, absolutely love the Netherlands and I absolutely love Dutch people. So I spoke with them last week and I got to speak with Dutch people like my Dutch friends and I'm like, yay. So yeah, it'll be really exciting to do that. It's free. Um, it's like a 15, 20 minute talk from each of the um, keynotes. So it's going to be like super snappy. Uh, and yeah, I'm talking about how testers regenerate throughout their career with a Doctor Who theme. So yeah, should be fun. Um, and outside of work, I passed my freaking driving test. I only got one minor. Hey. I'm so happy. Uh, so Steeton <laughs> Driving Center, you are the best. Chris from Steeton <laughs> Driving Center, I love you so much. He was really nice. I was really worried that I wouldn't be able to listen to music on the way around because I need so many inputs to be able to concentrate. But he spoke mm -hmm. to me the entire way around. So I had enough input to be able to like not end up hyper-focusing on driving. Because otherwise, like, I hyper-focus and nothing else exists. And, yeah, the concentration is too much. So, yeah, uh, drove flying solo last night to see some friends. And it was just awesome. Yeah, so 
I'm having fun, basically. That's my week's update. Awesome. Congratulations. No, so I did a I did an intensive driving course uh oh, about five years ago. And uh it was awful. And when I first when I did my first test, uh I didn't know that I had that I was so bad at the clutch because the instructor had been like touching the clutch the entire time. So I only found out that I couldn't drive for shit when I was on the test and I wanted to die. But I told the um I told the examiner about this. I was like, this is my third test, like this is what happened. And he was like, the problem was definitely not you. Um, you're an excellent driver. And I was like, Yay, I love you, Chris. Um so yeah. <laughs> yeah. I um, third time. Awesome. All the best yeah. people pass the second time. Oh, third time. <laughs> I failed the first time because I took my test in Cambridge uh, and obviously a notorious city for cyclists. Uh, the test was at half past three. So it's just as all the schools had finished for the day. And we found ourselves driving down one road and there were oh, no. five cyclists in a line across the road. And obviously I, I sat back and stayed behind. Them. It was a shortish <gasps> road, but I just stayed behind them to the end of the road. And at the end, the instructor said that I'd failed. And he said the correct thing to do in that situation was you should have sounded your horn. Who was just going to sound their horn on their driving test? What? <laughs> Yeah, no. it's one of those things. But then you the second time, the second time around, I know. But then the second time around, we drove out of the test centre and straight into our traffic jam. So although there was a lot of clutch control involved, I just sat in traffic and then we pulled off and did the three manoeuvres you have to do. And um, I think karma balanced out in the end. Oh no, nightmare! <laughs> nice. Well, at least you've passed now. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and you too, GD. You're going to find all these podcasts that you like to stick on for your drives now. Yeah, totally. So, um, so I put on music last night. Uh, I, I should put on a podcast. I haven't tried listening to a podcast in a car yet because I've always had my partner with me. Um, so yeah, I, I should give it a go. It's, uh, it's very exciting. I don't know where I like yeah. where I'll drive next though. Yeah. <laughs> you can, you can come down, visit me anytime. Thank you. That would be amazing. Happy birthday to you, Mr. Neil Studd. You look amazing for 40. And I think Gwen and I were both saying this before we hit record. <laughs> you look amazing in this whole sort of GI stud sort of look, you know. I'm, the I'm glad to be beard. over I'm glad to be over the hump of, of hitting 40, because now now you can look forward. But it, it was funny when I got my Peloton on day one, because when you fire it up, it shows you like your gender and category. And it just said the first thing it said was Neil Studd, male forties. I was like, oh, for God's sake. It's just today. <laughs> <laughs> Even the machines are mocking you now. <laughs> social engineering. In social engineering, friend of the show, Beth, said she really enjoyed the episode, uh, flowed really well and felt really water cooler, which is awesome. She loved all the stories and listener opinions, too. Thank you very much, Beth. We love you and we love all your listener opinions too. Please keep them coming. Callum says, totally agree with Gwen Diagram. Diversity of panels is a big deal. Helps show that you'll be able to bring yourself and different ideas to the company and that this will be welcomed. Completely agree. You know, we need to have inclusivity at all levels and, and signal that, you know, externally and internally, right? Rod said he really enjoys the show. Thank you, Rod. We really enjoy you. Thanks for enjoying the show. Simon says, another really good episode. Really enjoy the discussion. We've discussed similar topics on at Testing Peers podcasts around hiring for test roles. And we seem to be saying the same thing. Culture ad, not culture fit. Completely agree. 
Uh, on the point around making interviews conversational, I've always tried to find that one topic that shows their passion and can get them talking as you then remove the shackles of the nerves and see who they really are. Mm -hmm. That's again, really true as well. Interviews are like so tough and it's like you always gain the most knowledge out of getting, you know, letting someone sort of open up, you know, unlock who they really are, right? Totally. Uh, Dan says, great second episode for the drive into work today. Uh, interview stress is just something I don't want in my life anymore. One of my worst uh, recently was during an exceptionally bad period of mental health and bereavement. So sorry, Dan. Uh, I had a lack of energy and conf confidence, but subsequently during lockdown, they all went well. That's really great to hear. And thanks for opening up. You know, I think it's, it's really important to hear what's going on sort of inside us you mm -hmm. know we're very emotional people and emotional intelligence is very hard i think it's important <laughs> especially for younger people to hear we're uh, imperfect and we feel these things and it's okay to talk about it uh, i i really uh thank, thank you dan i really hope you had a chance to offload and debrief this with someone if not uh please hit me up i'm i'm happy to listen to you um and thanks to all our new followers and everyone that's been commenting we really really appreciate it please keep coming neil you want to so, you look like you need to jump in well, I just got to say, by complete coincidence, this is my third podcast I've recorded in three days. And yesterday I recorded a podcast with Simon and Dan. The three of us were on a podcast together uh, called Testphere Roulette. It's <laughs> not due out until the middle of October, but it's a testing themed sort of game show podcast. Uh, it's very, very bantery. Uh, I'll plug that near the time when it's wow. actually out because that's, that's good fun. And weirdly, weirdly enough, basically, we, we pick out loads that of That sounds like, really fun. Like, so Testphere is a, a tester's card game. Um, I've got a pack here. Hey, little, little effort on the, on the show. Um, there's different like topics that come up on the cards. Uh, my light's not helping. <laughs> uh, okay, that's really not showing up very well on my um, screen. But basically, it's conversational I've prompts about testing. And one of the ones that one of the cards we picked out uh, at random for this episode was one called social engineering. So we, we discussed the topic of social engineering, which is funny because we have a, a section called that. It's also funny because Dan is a security tester, so he's very big into <laughs> social engineering. So, um, yeah, the luck of the cards for our way came uh, up in that episode. Mm -hmm. But talking more about our podcast, uh, my job is to tell you uh, how we're going with our podcast-driven development, our building and public exercise. So on Twitter and LinkedIn, we're continuing to put on new followers, which is great. They're both up steadily, I'll say, this week. Um, Twitter's at 149, I think, when I took this down yesterday. I think actually it's bumped over 150 now because we, we did some promotional stuff on Friday that uh, made that go up. Uh, LinkedIn's in the 140s as well and is narrowing the gap. Um, if we keep going at that rate, you know, if we put on 10% a week forever, that's great. That's sustainable growth. Um, in terms of views mm -hmm. and listens to the podcast, they're down slightly this week, about 20% in total, which is not a massive surprise in that a lot of people will have tuned into episode one to see what episode one is. On the other hand, if you flip it around, if you look at the number of people we have for episode two, if that's our pot of regular listeners now, that is a really, really healthy number. Uh, and it would be great if um, those people can help to, to share the news about the podcast, because obviously we want to continue growing. Um, we're also now in a position where we've got enough stats that it's it's probably worth doing like a, a sponsored tweet, you know, promoting a tweet or promoting a LinkedIn post um, to actually get it in front of new eyes just to see with, what impact that has at least. Um, because um, as much as we, you know, your help to help us find new listeners is great. Uh, we need to do a bit of activity on that ourselves. So uh, we'll see, uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, Sam's already mentioned he's working on some automation to make this uh, web page easier to use. Um, I've done a little bit of refactoring on it myself this week um, to uh, pull the data out. So the data that drives the page is in like a big array um, so that it hopefully just makes it easier for Sam to plug into whatever he builds. But um, we've only got three weeks data. It's not that much, uh, but yeah, all going well. Mm. 
It's really interesting. Cool. The things that I find via promoted tweets have sometimes been absolutely life-changing. Like uh, they seem to be able to find the audience really well. It's where I found out about the startup bus, um, like a hackathon across yeah. Europe. And yeah, like really interesting how well they have the demographic where it's like, that's exactly what I'm interested in. <laughs> Yeah, on LinkedIn well, maybe as well, point, because we, we will look into some paid advertising, right? Yeah, on LinkedIn as well, you Sorry can target enough. specific job roles as well. So that means, you know, we, we can go after people who are in engineering and who have, you know, product managers and who are quality engineers and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we could put it in front of the right people and mm -hmm. hopefully, you know, find a few more people. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And uh, on the point of um, automation, so um, I've got, uh, I've been tinkering around with the APIs. I've got the Twitter and the LinkedIn data working. Um, Patreon and YouTube have APIs, so I know what to do. I just haven't written the lines yet. Uh, Anchor doesn't have an API, and I've I've uh, messaged them, and they've said they've passed the request onto their uh, engineering team. But you know, I wouldn't hold my breath. So with mm. Anchor, it's either going to be some dodgy web scraping, uh, where we're going to have to send like our authentication uh, cookies in the header, for example. Or it's going to be some level of like manual, maybe we build like a, a Chrome web extension where one of us can then manually have to click, yeah, upload this number or something. I've done a number of kind of scrapey things in the past where they'll pull uh, data out of a site that doesn't have an API and then it will output it somewhere into a format that you can parse later, you know, to a CSV or something. Um, so yeah, happy to, to chip in on that because uh, I've cracked that a few times. I think one of them, I think one of the best ones I did was um, my local gym. I had a, a pure gym where they didn't have an API as such, but if you, yeah, you fired a web request to them, they would tell you how many people were in your gym at the moment. And I basically, I hit that every five minutes for like a week. I built a, like an activity graph to show how busy, you know, where the <laughs> troughs of, of, of activity were in the gym. Um, they've since built their own functionality that shows you that, which is useful. Uh, but that was one, one of my favorite things was, yeah, just let me automate working out how busy the gym is and work out when I should go. That's nice. really cool. It's always it's always fun to discover secret API endpoints, isn't it? <laughs> you know what? Uh, so last time I bought a washing machine, we've already spoken about washing machines, but now people have mentioned washing machines. Like we spoke about it before we started the podcast. But uh, I cannot wait for a for washing machines to have APIs so I can monitor all of their mm -hmm. usage. Like where when I last bought one, they. They weren't there yet. I, I think there might be a few now, but yeah, more home appliances with APIs. I need to check which one my sister-in-law has got, but she has a washing machine that will check the weather forecast. And if it knows that it's going to rain, the washing machine will text you and say, well, do you want to just dry it indoors? Because you're not going to get it outside today. It's amazing. Oh my God. Wow. That's so cute. Awesome. They're like, they're coming along mm. so much and like washing machines <laughs> that play music. I love them. Yeah. Like I, I just think they're <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful piece of machinery. Anyway, uh, before I get too excited about washing machines, because I will start shouting, let's move on to this epic. This week's epic. So this week, an entertaining article came out from Swale Council, where they have referred to as a junior member of staff, mistakenly approved or declined planning requests with hilarious messages. With an applicant called the Happy Pants Ranch having their proposals rejected with notes such as, your proposal is whack, no mate, proper whack, 
two applications to separate pubs were both approved as well. So one of the responses was Incy Wincy Spider and why am I doing this? Am I the chosen one? So legal advice has confirmed that these decisions, there were five in total with like incorrectly or like kind of test data put on, they're actually legally binding and they must be overturned before the correct decisions are made, which may take up to three months and cost £8,000. So as per usual, when these kind of large public mistakes are made, the response from Swale Council has blamed the mistake on a junior member of staff. They said that apparently they had no knowledge of the applications and they believed that they were working in a test environment. So an, inv an investigation is underway to understand what happened and may result in action against the officers involved, these junior staff members. So I love, I love these kind of problems like this. So there's so many reasons why this happened. And it's so often that this is blamed on the junior staff members. My favorite, one of my favorite things is there's a fantastic post on Reddit um, where a chap started at a new place and um, they, mm. they were following all the like training setup and they ended up dropping the database in production and uh, they mm -hmm. fired him, walked him off the job. He posted on Reddit being like, I totally screwed up today. I'm an awful person. And it's like, no, this is not your fault. Their training mm -hmm. was incorrect. Mm -hmm. Like, And yeah, so onboarding new staff members, why did they allow this junior to like mm -hmm. get onto production at, when they thought it was a test environment? Um, yeah. If there weren't such, you know, tragic consequences behind this story, it would just be completely, one, hilarious, and two, we'd hope that, you know, uh, the right response is, is sort of taken, right? Uh, because, like, why is it this person's fault, right? They should never be put in a position where they could be making these kinds of mistakes, mm -hmm. right? And, and they should not have to pay for any of this. It's not their fault. They exposed a giant vulnerability in your system. Mm -hmm. Totally. And... There was a bit of a discussion around like what kind of stuff you should use for test data. Like this is why I only use production type of stuff for test data. And I don't think that's a point. I think the point is like separate the environments enough. There should be no reason why your junior member of staff should need to have a production logon. Um, I mean, maybe sometimes mm -hmm. it's useful to have it there to, you know, so you can, you can check inside the system and see what it's like. But um, the easiest way to avoid this mistake would be to have not given them the powers to do it. And I've been in organizations where uh, my production powers have been much lower than my testing environment powers. And that at times it's been annoying, but it also means that I've never been able to be in this position. Um, I think the mm. other, the big, the big thing here is um, there's a, a massive bureaucracy point. There's this whole thing about it's going to take, three months to roll back it's going to cost money um mm. does it have to you know if mm. if sensible people got in got in a room maybe you yeah. need to call some kind of extraordinary meeting of the council leaders to just say this was clearly a mistake can we just scrub it and the answer is yes and then you're done um i think when you're working yeah. in organizations where there are levels of bureaucracy I mean, there may also be technical bureaucracy i mean a lot of this stuff may well be driving workflows you know you press the approve or reject button and now suddenly the database record is locked or it fires off some new things and at worst, I imagine it will be a massive pain to roll back, but also I think you've just got to do it. You can't, I mean, 
as as funny as the name is, I did look into the Happy Pants, the Happy Pants Ranch. They're a an animal welfare charity who survive on donations. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the proposal, I believe, was they're trying to build um, like a, a static caravan type thing on site to help staff be on hand to look after the animals more regularly. And they've been they've been set back three months because someone pressed the wrong button in the wrong place. And everyone knows that the button was wrong and that it wasn't wasn't needed. Can we not just be sensible human beings? Yeah, it's mm. really sad that it is legally binding. Like, and I wonder if this will have any changes. Like, whether it will stay legally mm. binding or if people will change it. Yeah, I get that you don't want to set a legal precedent. You know, a decision must be binding. You know, if you approve something and then it is approved, there can't be some way of coming back and saying, "Well." Is it really approved? But this is, it's clearly a mistake. It, it's not a decision that you want to overturn. It's a decision that wasn't even made. Mm. But there's all this bureaucracy around our county councils and our government system, right? What can you do? And then the thing is like, they could they could sort of say, oh yeah, it was just a mistake. We'll just change it. And then some random lawyer can get involved and, and you know, go, no, you can't do that, right? <laughs> you know, the law is the law. I really love the point, uh, uh, or sorry, I really love the story that you brought up, GD, that um, that uh, Reddit post from this poor engineer uh, who, you know, dropped a production database on day one and then got fired and like, you know, admonished and stuff. So there was, I, I remember that and I researched that myself just yesterday. And there's, you know, there's a handful of similar stories yeah. like that, right? But the, there was one actually from Amazon in 2012. Amazon had an outage for a very, for like a very similar sort of problem, right? But in their case, that engineer is still working there. So, you know, I support their response. Like, you know, this is not, this person did not do something wrong. They expo- they exposed the flaw, right? It's, it's not their fault. And like, and how terrible must they feel? So there are a lot of victims here, right? There's the people who either had their, uh, their planning permissions uh, erroneously mm-hmm. granted or rejected. Now they're in limbo for months. They're at, they're, they're wracked with anxiety. They're out of pocket. Um, and how about the poor person that actually did this? I know. I mean, you know we've, we must've, we all made mistakes, right? We must all have been in this position and you feel terrible for days, weeks. How, I hope they're it's sleeping funny. okay. And they know it's not their fault. <laughs> it's funny. I found a, I think it was on yep. the happy pants ranch facebook page they wrote about this this decision and obviously we in tech understand how these things happen but people who who aren't you know quite clued up with how these things do happen were posting in the comments going that oh, it's a conspiracy you know that they, they don't want you to grow or expand it's like no it's a, it's a mistake people make dumb mistakes particularly when they're allowed to we we had a lot of great input from people sort of um supporting testing and production mm. which which i completely agree with this isn't really a case of testing and production this was like this is not an intended thing this is just an accident right yeah totally so but if you kind of set it up more so you can test in production so you have test accounts in production and he's not like uh, the junior wasn't logging on to like live with test data, but if there was like kind of a separate part, um, because at work I have, I have the ability to test in production and, you know, I'm part of a specific user group kind of thing and stuff like that. You can do it more like that. So your production environment is safe to test in instead of it just being off limits because you know, it's it's a bit different now because you can trash and reburn your uh, Kubernetes cluster all the time. But, you know, when production was more a 
pet instead of cattle where you couldn't just destroy your environment all the time. You, it was better to be able to test on production and make sure that it was similar because there was a lot more difference between like staging environments and production environments. But yeah, hopefully mm. that is becoming to be a thing of the past. We also need to look into what it was that the person was trying to test, um, whether they thought they're in production or not. I mean, I'm assuming it's something like um, maybe they want to see the email notifications that came off the back of this. You know, why, why were they hitting these buttons to do this thing? They obviously had a, a task they were trying to accomplish. Um, is there any way that you could allow them to do that without having to push data through the system? You know, like a one touch thing to, to fire off a demo email without needing to process a planning application to do it. Um, Again, I'm sure mm -hmm. there are there are debriefs going on internally, and hopefully they're focused on the process rather than the person. I had a really mm, yep. Well said. I had a really entertaining thing like that happen to me. Or it must have been about 2012. But we used to um, so in our like test environment, we used to send all our emails to um, like SQL database, and so like I'd be able to see it there and. I was testing this one developer's work and none of the emails were coming through to the database. And it was uh, the thing I was testing was sending out invoices to um, customers and we'd restored the data from production into staging. Um, well, the test environment, it wasn't staging. And um, and I was like, uh, where, where are these emails? I can't find them in the database. And he was like, you're not pressing the send button, are you? And I'm like, well, of course I am. I'm testing your work. I need to press that to be able to test it happens. And Noah, he hadn't hooked it up to the testing database. I don't know if it was that he didn't know how to or that he'd forgotten or something like that. Um, and I'm just like, oh, no, like how embarrassing. I've sent out these invoices to customers and we had to contact them. Um, but I'm sure that was a training issue. Like, yeah, it wasn't his fault. Like... And it's happened to all of us, you know, where like people are human, we make mistakes. Um, yeah. The comments that we had uh, were mostly around testing and production. So uh, high tech management, uh, he's, they spoke about uh, testing in production is a big no for me. Instead, we should have as equal as possible staging environments and then have a clear process for post-production testing that is absolutely safe to do on the prod environment. Um, and then Matthew Breton um, said, I test in production all the time, particularly via monitoring and logs. So uh, I love this because good monitoring and logs should be indistinguishable from testing. I can't remember who said that quote, but I, I bloody love it. Um, so real bugs experienced by real users, proactive fixing helps the overall image of quality as well. Um, so yeah, there's mm. kind of two different views on testing in production, isn't there? So in conclusion to the epic, uh, I guess don't blame people if they make mistakes, learn from them. And that's the most important thing yeah. and make sure don't, that things are, don't let them make the mistakes. Exactly. Yeah. And make sure things are reversible as well. You know, in development, how much mm. effort do we put into being able to roll back? Like it's either roll back or fix forwards and it sure as hell doesn't take mm. three months, not anymore anyway. <laughs> so yeah and and why and why does one individual potentially a, a brand new person uh, on this team have the power to do all this surely there should be breakpoints right and firewalls right someone someone should need to back up this decision and authorize it right yeah totally that's that's so true as well
Bruce's Bites. Report from London Tech Watch says August followed up a record-breaking July with over 1.8 billion US dollars pulled in across 57 de deals across London, including five mega 100 million US dollar plus deals. Sorry to be so regionless and London-centric. I'm just going to get it out this week. I know that fully two-thirds of our hosting team are not based in London and probably don't care about it. Um, but... That that point flows nicely onto next week. It's actually London Tech Week. That's September the 20th to 24th. In previous years, this has been a huge deal. Tons of events going on. You're hosting events. You're going to events. You're attending events after work. You're doing virtual events. It's just event, 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 event. London Tech Week, right? But this year feels really muted to me. Um, I, I mean, I guess we still haven't cracked this problem of like, you know, attending virtual events and conferences, but uh, what do you think? Are you going to uh, anything? Are you hosting anything? Um, please let me know, because I'd, I'd love to get involved. Um, that leads nicely on to my last point, which is the mayor of London's team is on the lookout for progressive tef tech organizations to take part in the next edition of the program to support more young black men into work. Really, really, uh, really fantastic and important project. Uh, we'll put a link in. Uh, if if you could, if you're in this hiring space or know anyone that is, please do get involved. That would be amazing. Yeah, that's a very yeah. exciting program. Um, really stoked that the mayor of London's putting effort into that. Yeah. And I mean, anecdotally, not backed up by any real data, I feel like black people are the most underrepresented in the teams and the companies that I've worked in, you know, um, and it would be like, nice to get a little bit more inclusivity there. I agree completely. It doesn't look so, like the real life, like, you know, our teams don't look like no. when you walk out on the street and yeah, so, and they mm. should look a lot more like that. Really exciting news to me uh, and a lot of you as well, I imagine. So the OWASP top 10 has finally been updated so for the first time since 2017. So it's felt like for a while the topics were getting kind of slightly out of date and now the topics have been shuffled around a bit. Some have changed names, some have been merged and most excitingly, new ones have been added. So I'm just so excited to see what the security co community does with this new information. Um, I really, really hope that Juice Shop, which is my favorite security training tool, will get updated. Um, if you haven't played with Juice Shop, we'll link, a, we'll link it in the description. It is an absolutely beautiful way to learn about uh, security flaws in applications that you build. Um, and yeah, so um, Dan Billing, who was mentioned earlier, um, he ran a workshop on it. I've run workshops on it, uh, inspired by Dan, like quite a few people have, and they're just so much fun. Uh, so yeah, I won't talk about that too much because I love it. Um, so new categories for OWASP top 10, uh, insecure design, software and data integrity failures, and server-side request forgery. Um, so just make sure you chop it, check it out on the new OWASP top 10 on OWASP.org. I can't wait to start designing some workshops around this. Um, and yeah, I'd like, it's going to be amazing. I need to read into it more. Um, yeah. Yeah. A new version of the OWASP Top 10 is a real line in the sand for anyone who produces training material. It's one of those things that it doesn't come along often, but it means you have to throw away not everything mm. you thought before, but a lot of things that you've done before. Um, personally, um, there's some really good plural site courses around this. Um, the security researcher uh, from Australia called Troy Hunt, um, yeah. I, who's uh, I've done some training with. He, he mm -hmm. came in to compare the market when I was there um, 
to do a, to do some training with us. So he's he's going to have, have his hands full. And just on a, on a slight tangent, but I didn't bring it up in the news bites um, in, in our notes. But uh, Selenium has uh, just released its release candidate, first release can candidate for version four. Which again, that's another thing where anyone who's got Selenium training courses, you know, I don't think it's as big a jump as the jump from two to three was, but. You know, everyone's going to need to get reading the, the small print and work out if they need to change any of the material. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, that's a really mm. good point. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of updating stuff. But yeah, it's it's always fun mm. when you get to, isn't it? Like, and getting to investigate these new categories. Like, I've not looked into them too much. So yeah, it's just exciting new stuff to learn. Mm. I've looked into them enough to know that I have no idea what server-side request forgery is. I know that's, I think it's the one that's number 10 on the list now, but I, I looked at their their, <laughs> wow. their, their their bit and it involves something around spoofing certificates and I got scared and ran off. But uh, I was finding out more about that. <laughs> totally. <laughs> well, I will wrap things up then with um, my news bite for the week. I've been gripped this week by an article slash essay. Uh, it's about 3,000 words on wired.com about the Wikipedia editing career of a woman who's dedicated herself to removing content which glorifies fascism, and specifically, which doesn't cite its sources, which obviously is a big Wikipedia no-no. Ksenia Kaufman's battle began in 2015 and has involved a wealth of independent research and reading. She's faced accusations of censorship, even when what she's removing is nothing short of biased hero worship. Being Wikipedia, the discussions around her changes are there for all to see, and many assume her to be a man because of her bold and brash edit style. She says she just lets them believe what they want to believe. The war itself may be long since over, but the edit war will continue forever. Kaufman is now one of the top 1% of contributors on Wikipedia and is actively watching over 2,000 pages to ensure that trolls, vandals, and Nazi fanboys won't get their say any longer. It's a really interesting read. That's yeah, good for her. Yeah, this, this is brilliant. Yeah, fighting fascism is it, always so important, and yeah, that's a really interesting way to do it instead of going out on the streets and like, yeah, safe, nice way to do it. There are so many interesting little anecdotes in there. Like, there's a um, a category, like there was a a pop a a, a there was a a Nazi medal that was awarded to a lot of their officers, um, and each of these officers were given individual pages, and again, those pages were fleshed out with fluff you know talk about the, the many great things they've done and again if you took out as she found you took away the the stuff that was unsubstantiated you were left with their name and that they won a medal and at that point they don't deserve to have a page of their own they're not notorious enough and um thankfully wikipedia backed her up on a lot of these mm. things um to help her remove a lot of things that just were not deserving of a, a place um but it's 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 a it's a, mm. it's a always a fine line between freedom of speech uh accusations of censorship and mccarthyism um, but also, I mean, Wikipedia is supposed to be a source of truth. And if you cannot cite your truth, um, you probably don't belong to be there. Agreed. Wikipedia is a fantastic organization, you know, uh, and I know they're always looking for more uh, contributors and funding and people to help out. Isn't it a little sad that we're here now, 2021, and fascism is on the rise again, you know, particularly in the hearts of our Western democracies, right? You know, I mean, maybe not amongst the three of us, but it's happening out there. I don't know if it ever went away. There's stories of uh, neo-Nazis in Melbourne from the 90s and stuff like that. Mm. It was quite big in Melbourne. The stories that I've heard anyway, um, I think it's always been a little mm. bit undercover. Like, yeah, um, but it's getting I more think it's popular. part of the challenge of giving... I think it's part of the challenge of giving everyone an equal voice online is that you know maybe not all voices should be equal 
is this sorry to interject is this an education and like opportunities problem just people grow up without education and opportunities and you know then fascism can can somehow get to them you know they can they can get involved with the wrong crowd yeah i think so it can be like quite lonely people that uh find people that actually listen to them so people who feel like they aren't listened when they join online communities or like real life communities and they finally feel like they're being heard with their opinions and stuff like that and their opinions are encouraged then yeah i guess it's because of that um what i've always found really interesting is um so the like the kind of fascism clothes are always so similar to subcultures that i've been in or followed um and it's really hard to tell the difference between like quite left wing and quite right wing when mm. it starts going to extremes such as like the skinhead haircut um and then the hipster subculture so a lot of the um like fascists are wearing like you know proper like beards uh like uh nice haircuts flannel shirts and stuff like that and it's the same as like what the hipster culture wears and they seem <laughs> to copy this kind of culture um and yeah i've just found yeah. it really interesting that you can't tell a fascist i think one of the challenges of the internet is the fact that it's so easy to search for anything makes it very easy to have selective biases you know you you google for your belief you will find something that supports that mm. um, very few people will deliberately mm. google the opposite of their belief to find the counter arguments um you know if if you come mm. onto the internet with predisposed opinions you will find uh, your community there to support you yeah so one of the dudes i work with uh he <laughs> he got his youtube to specifically recommend right-wing stuff to him so he could educate himself um and i don't know how he handles it like i'm just like you're you're that's quite a mad thing to do uh but sometimes you need to try and mm. listen to other points of view um and mm. even just be like mm. wow i didn't know that was why they believe that um i really disagree with that but at least i know why they believe it now i guess but yeah i i couldn't do it so uh hats off to him uh, mm. really <laughs> hardcore <laughs> competition time i think i think neil did a a great uh cook my grub promo uh uh last week and i'm gonna try and do almost as good as him you know i wish he was doing this bit uh so we had <laughs> okay we, we had a, we had a competition last week sponsored by uh our friends at cook my grub uh the winner was ben down is that right Neil? ben doen yep ben doen okay tester on twitter lovely i'm sure he's a fantastic individual uh he he got the 20 pound amazon voucher uh that's hopefully wing its way over to you very soon if it's not already there um thank you very much cook my grub we're doing the same giveaway uh this week 20 pounds amazon voucher sponsored by our friends over at cook my grub cookmygrub.com this is like a website that uh hooks up um i guess budding chefs and people who want to uh just order food get a takeaway or get a delivery but uh, their their sort of sell is that it's you know 
um, really varied world food, and it's there's a big focus on sort of uh, freshness, uh, health, uh, quality, and taste. Um, and uh, they help out both sides here. So you could be a consumer, or you could go on there and you can set up your own kitchen. So and they'll help you sort of do all your food hygiene rating stuff and get you set up as a business and selling on their on their site. Uh, they have a very limited area of op operations right now, but they'll be expanding to London and nationwide uh, by the end of this year. Was it? Was that? How did that sound, Neil? Did I miss anything? Fantastic. That was that, that was that was about everything. Yeah, I, I love the fact that it, it pairs people with directly with chefs. I mean, as much as I've got my favorite takeaways locally, like how many chefs at those takeaways am I on first name terms with? Or how many of them know exactly how I like to have something? Mm -hmm. I really love the idea of, of bringing you mm -hmm. and the, the chefs that much closer together. Totally. Yeah. I'm all. You know, this whole food tech, I mean, food tech's exploded over the pandemic. And, you know, uh, so I like I like to sh try a few of these things. I like to get my meals delivered, either like frozen or ready meals or whatever, you know. Um, and it's quite expensive. You know, I'm looking for like, you know, healthy, high protein meals. And it's like some of these prices are crazy, you know. And then I would much rather pay less than that and get it from like, you, as you say, you know, a chef whose name you know. And, you know, you can probably trust has put the care and effort into making like an awesome meal for you, you know. Totally. Do either of you have either of you tried any of those uh, these like home delivery like you know they or they'll I've, deliver a box of like raw ingredients? I've I've tried a couple. Um, the main problem we have in my house is my wife is gluten free, and for as much as these meal services say that they offer a wide variety of things, when you drill down into it, very few of those are compatible. Like we couldn't fill a box on a given week or a fortnight, you know, without duplicates because there aren't mm. that many gluten free options. Whereas if you are working with a chef, who you know. You could directly talk to them, you know, one to one, and message them and say, "Actually, is there any way you can tailor this this recipe to make it slightly more palatable to, you know, either allergies or whatever?" Um, there's, I, I would guess they they are probably a lot more receptive to that on Cook My Grub. I would love that. Yep. So I'm I'm vegan, and everyone's been talking about take, getting takeaway over the pandemic. They're like, I live in a small town. There is no vegan takeaway hardly. The vegan pizza that you can get is absolutely rank. Um, and I, it means mm. I have to cook every single night. Um, so having someone else pick that up for me would be, oh my God, I, yeah. And you know, someone would be able to cook vegan. Um, yeah, I wouldn't be relying just yeah. on the takeaways nearby. Anyway, competition runs again this week. All you have to do is uh, like or retweet the tweet that's promoting the show episode number three mm -hmm. and we're not sure if we want to carry on doing it this way are you happy with us doing it this way can you think of a better way for us to run a competition or a giveaway just a fun little thing to do you know um but it's not maybe you should, everyone maybe the listeners could cook food for us could, could propose recipes oh my god <laughs> send us your food bribes and we to win favorite meal. <laughs> yeah i i'm pretty unchoosy maybe. if it's got calories or chocolate just send it my way <laughs> the wash up uh, that, that's about it that's another almost an hour gone i don't know where the time goes what one day we will get this down and uh <laughs> to a yeah. tight format i'm sure but uh we, we just have such a good time talking to each other and hopefully uh you enjoy listening to us as well yeah. if you're one of the people who've got this far in the episode then please 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 do um, do all the things people say like and subscribe it really does help us uh share the word about the podcast we're trying to grow uh, we can only do that by reaching new people at the moment we're kind of 
we're working within a subset of people we already know. So we, we'd love to get outside of that and introduce some new people to the podcast. And we're we're here to be shaped by you. So do contact us on social media through the many, many different ways. Uh, we have a Patreon at Tech Team Weekly, where we've got a very simple, straightforward £5 a month tier that I added this week um, that qualifies you to be a friend of the show. Uh, we've said that when we reach 10 patrons, we'll start producing some sort of light weekly content on there. Um, so get us there and hold us up to it. And uh, we, we look forward to it. Uh, otherwise, we will see you all next Monday. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. So nice to huh? have you here. We'll Goodbye. See you all next time. Tech Team Weekly.